It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with More Money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome, folks. This is the More Money Show on WBC Talk Radio. Uh, it is now officially two days before Christmas, so I hope everyone is having a joyous and happy and holy holiday season, and Merry Christmas to all. And um, so I want to uh, I want to start this show, if I may, by giving you all my Christmas list of uh, the things that I want to get for Christmas. And uh, this is a list that really is more about, of course, I want diamonds and gold and a lot of money and a new house. Uh, but this is more about what I want for Christmas for our country. And I wonder what you think about this, too. I, I would uh, love uh, to hear what you all think about what is the most important thing we need for our country uh, as we enter twenty. 24. And so here are some of the things that are at the top, <coughs> excuse me, of my list. First, I'd love to see clean and fair elections in 2024, where neither party is complaining about what happened. We need to have election integrity in this country or our representative form of government is in jeopardy. By the way, we are not a democracy. This is one of my pet peeves. I'm so sick of People say our democracy is in danger. We are not a democracy. We have democratic voting, but that's very different than a democracy. As the old saying goes, a, a democracy is just two wolves and a sheep voting on what they're going to have for dinner, right? And so we're not a majority rule country. And, and that's important, a legacy of our country that we are not majority rule, because if you have majority rule, then the rights of the minorities uh, are very much in jeopardy. And so the ingeniousness of our system in this country is that we do protect the rights of the minority, whether it's a minority by race or by uh, political affiliation or a group that they're involved, whether it's a Jewish group or a Catholic group or this group or that group. We protect the voices of the minority and we don't live by mob rule. And so uh, I want to make sure that everyone who is eligible to vote is able to vote. But I also want to make sure that people who are not eligible to vote are not voting. And we have so many lax voting rules now that it's almost impossible to make sure that we have election integrity. And incidentally, when someone in this country votes illegally, maybe they're not they're not over the age of 18. Maybe they are not uh, a citizen of the United States. Maybe they have um, some other. Maybe they're not a resident of the area that they're trying to vote in. When they vote illegally, or maybe, by the way, many people try to vote multiple times, every illegal vote basically just wipes out your vote, right? That's all it does. So this is one of the reasons people get discouraged about voting, because they feel it doesn't matter, because they feel that there is so much um, voter fraud. And there is voter fraud. There is. There was a lot of voter fraud in 2020. Um, I don't know if that voter fraud was enough to make the difference in terms of changing the election outcome. But it's absurd and insulting when you have newspapers like the New York Times saying that 20, 
2020 was one of the cleanest elections ever. It wasn't one of the cleanest elections ever. It was one of the dirtiest elections ever. Again, I'm not saying the election was stolen. I'm just saying that there there was a lot of hanky-panky, as my parents used to say, when it came to the election. So I want to make sure that we all feel secure that our vote matters and that only people who are eligible to vote in this country are voting. And so that's one of the top um, issues that I have. A second hope that I have for um, getting for Christmas is a new tax system. This is something, if you're a regular listener to this show, uh, you know I, Steve Moore, am an economist. I've been working on economic issues in Washington for almost 40 years, so I've seen everything in this town. Um, And I've got to tell you, if you want to drain the swamp, if you want to take power, Away from Washington, D.C., you have to do it by by uh, simplifying the tax system because the power that this town of Washington, D.C. derives from the rest of the country and, and I should say absorbs from the rest of the country, that power is in large part derivative of a tax system that is uh, completely unfair, completely incomprehensible, uh, unbelievably confusing, and it doesn't treat all taxpayers the same. And so that is a system that is unjust. And we need something that you could fill out, a tax form that you could fill out in 15 minutes, not 15 weeks, <laughs> you know, not 15 days. It should be really simple. The tax rates should be the same for everybody. Um, if you, Mr. Jones, makes more, five times more money than I do, you should pay five times more income tax, not 10 times more, not 20 times more. Keep the rates low. Keep the system simple. Get rid of all of the leakage in the tax system. That is, so many people are getting away with paying no tax. And I'm going to get to that in a minute because uh, that's my third item on this. Um, but let's have a system that we all believe in. And that promotes economic growth, promotes uh, businesses investing here in the United States, not in other countries. It kind of makes me sad to think that one of our last steel companies in the United States, U.S. Steel, is now going to be owned by the Japanese. I think they have every right to buy it. I'm not saying there's anything nefarious about this. The only thing that's nefarious about it is that we have tax laws and regulatory laws that are chasing our factories out of this country. Um, So the third thing I'm wishing for for Christmas is that uh, we do something about the scourge of our universities, and it is sickening what's going on in the college campuses. We all got to see firsthand. We all got a Harvard education, as the Wall Street Journal put it in their editorial recently, about the rot in our uh, universities and the fact that we are contaminating young people's minds. These universities are anti-America. They are anti History, they are anti-Western civilization, and they are anti-truth. They are not telling our kids the truth about history and the truth about our country. They are, they are propagandizing, and that is not the role of our schools. And you see what's happening now in the – look, Harvard is the most prestigious university in the world, and yet what you saw with the riots there and, the, and, and you, what you saw with the – University professor, uh, who is now the president, uh, gay is her name. Uh, she is not qualified to be the president of Harvard University. She, everyone knows she's president of Harvard University because she's black, 
because she's a woman and because she's gay. Now, I don't have anything against black people or gay people or women. I like women. But I don't want people decided based on the color of their skin or their agenda or their sexual orientation. We've got to get back to being a meritorious country where people are chosen by their merit and by their skills and um, their ability to do the job. And she clearly isn't capable of doing it, but the board basically uh, re- uh, basically gave her two thumbs up. And she has now been discovered to have committed plagi- uh, uh, plagiarizing uh, on her dissertation and other uh, 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 published uh, studies that she's done, which, if, by the way, if you were a student at Harvard and you plagiarize, if you're a, pl- a serial plagiarizer, as she is, you'd be kicked out of school. She hasn't been kicked out of the of the president's office, not yet. I think it's coming any day now. So I want to see the laws changed about how we're taxing these universities. Why should Harvard be tax-free? Why should Princeton or MIT or Yale or any university be tax-free? I don't understand it. They should not be not nonprofit organizations. And they have billions and billions of dollars. Harvard's endowment, folks, are you ready for this, is over $50 billion, not $50 million, $50 billion. None of that money has ever been taxed. And, I, you know, I'm a low-tax guy. Everyone who listens to this show regularly, you know that I am uh, ferociously anti-tax, but I want a system where everybody is paying their fair share. And when you have major universities that are attacking the United States and then um, they get tax-free status, sorry, I think that has to end. The fourth thing I want to see this Christmas season is a balanced budget sometime in the next year or two or three. We are so far from a fiscally responsible budget. We have a complete runaway uh, budget right now that is is giving every special interest group tens, hundreds of billions of dollars. There's no accountability. Nobody knows where the money goes. Nobody is making sure that there's not fraud. There was $250 billion, billion with a B, of fraud in the COVID programs, and nobody did a damn thing about it. And that makes, makes me angry. So let's get to a lean government where we pay our bills, uh, where we have uh, government. Here's one that, that I was just thinking of the other day. You know, if you go back 100 years ago or so, maybe a little more than 100 years ago, um, the the government in, uh, you know, we have three levels of government. We have local government, we have state government, and we have federal government. Uh, anyone who knows the Constitution knows that the purpose of our uh, federalism system is to keep the power in the states. In other words, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments of our Constitution are very clear on this, that all power is not specifically designated to the federal government, rests with the states and the people. And so it used to be for about the hundred, at least the first hundred years of our country, that about 75% of the spending that government did in the United States was at the state and local level. Uh, so the states and localities determined, you know, what they were going to do for their communities and how they were going to fix the roads and, and they were going to have local infrastructure and they were going to have police and they were going to have firefighters, uh, and they were going to have, you know, programs to help the poor. But there was never a vision that we would have this massive federal government. So, a hundred and so or so years ago, it was 75% of the money was state and local and 25% of it was money spent at the federal level. Today, folks, that ratio is almost exactly the opposite. So today we have the federal government spending about 70% of the money 
and only 30% at the state and local level. I want to flip that back to the way it used to be, where power was in city hall and power was in the state legislatures, not power among the elite here in Washington. The fifth thing I want to see is more civility in this country, uh, an end to the screaming and yelling and oftentimes mobs that incite uh, violence. I think it is we're a better country than this, and we should be able to talk to each other uh, in civil ways, um, even if we disagree with them. And, you know, what's the old saying that, uh, you know, uh, you have the right to you have a First Amendment right in this country. You can say what you want. By the way, even when uh, some of these kids on college campuses are saying things that I strongly disagree with, you know, uh, death to Israel, and things like that, I actually think that they have the right to say it. Now, you're not allowed to incite violence, uh, and you could make the case that saying death to Israel is an incitement to violence. But I'm saying that if you're pro-Palestine or even pro-Hamas, um, you have the right to do that. My, my goodness, I come from Chicago. I think most of you all know that. When I was growing up, there was the very famous Supreme Court case that allowed a, a Nazi group to march in Skokie, Illinois. And Skokie is a Jewish town. Now, it's an incredibly obnoxious thing to do, but I was very, I was very, very supportive of that Supreme Court decision. Um, you have right of assembly in this country. You have right of free speech. You even have the right to say things that might offend someone. Again, you don't have the right to incite violence, uh, but um, let's be more tolerant of each other and their opinions. Now, people have, you know, look, I do war with liberals all the time. I think they have a lot of stupid opinions, but... Um, I do defend people's right to say what they want. It's the hallmark of what America is about. Um, the last one I'll mention, because I've gone on probably too long already, but I think it's it's so important that um, we do something about our schools. Come on. We can do so much better than this, America. <laughs> what is happening in our schools today is just a total disgrace. And when you see the low test scores, the fact that the United States now isn't even the top 10 or 20 among the countries in terms of reading, in terms of math, in terms of history, this is a big problem. This is an emergency. This is a five-alarm uh, fire that's going on in our country. And we cannot continue to allow our schools to fail. And we are failing our kids. We're failing the next generation. Uh, now, the super smart kids are doing okay. They tend to get segregated into, you know, advanced, what do they call them, uh, gifted and talented programs. And so they do just fine. But, my God, we have hundreds of schools in this country where the majority of kids are not reading or doing math, even at proficiency level. That is at an average level. Um, we're not going to be global economic superpower if we continue to allow our schools to rot. And why are they rotting? In my opinion, it's mostly because of the teachers' unions. And so what I'm saying, and regular listeners of this show know that this is one of my great imperatives for our country, is that we move towards a system where the dollars in our education system move with the parents. In other words, let the parents and the kids choose the schools, not the not the education establishment. And let's have thousands of schools. Let's have art schools. Let's have math schools. Let's have science schools. Let's have schools for disabled kids. Let's have all sorts of different. I mean, I have five sons, three that are mine and two that are, uh, are um, 
my wife's uh, kids. So I, I know a lot about kids. They all have very different aptitudes. They all have different interests. And the idea of just warehousing our kids in these schools that are not exciting. I mean, learning should be an exciting thing. <laughs> it should be exciting to learn about our country. It should be exciting to learn math and science and and the history of this great country. And we've made it so boring. Just look at the, the what's going on in the classrooms. Not only is a lot of mis, misinformation, it's just they're boring our kids to death. So those are some of my top uh hopes for Christmas. I don't know if Santa can come down the chimney and give those to our country, but boy, would it be a wonderful day. And again, uh, this is Christmas season. Be, be, uh, this is a special time of the year. And so be, uh, be nice to people and smile. And uh, this weekend is a, just a wonderful time. I'll be right back. We have a full uh, show today. I'm Steve Moore. This is the more money show and we will be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hey, it's Ryan Payne, Bob Payne from Payne Capital Management. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. Today on the More Money Show, talking about the economy, the markets, your finances. And Bob, man, oh, man, this is the proverbial uh, real Santa Claus rally. I mean, markets just continue to rally into the end of the year. Caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, but this is the way I like to end the year with a, with a huge booming uh, bull market, as you like to say. Yeah, it sure has, Ryan. And I'm, and I'm hoping all our listeners have been caught off guard because we've been talking about this for literally months now that, you know, when you're an investor, you've got to kind of follow the uh, Wayne Gretzky strategy. You have to skate to where the puck's going to be. You have to invest based on where markets are going, not based on the negative news you hear on the, on the uh, boob tube. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, you know, I think one of the mistakes that we've seen a lot of investors make this year is sitting in cash. And that 5%, you know, it's so alluring, such an attractive place to be. But the problem is we know the Fed most likely next year is going to start cutting interest rates. So that money market fund rate goes down very, very quickly. Meanwhile, you know, you can lock into bonds longer term at much better rates than we could for over a decade. And as you can see with the stock market, the stock market has trounced what you can do in cash this year. And if you're a long-term investor, you know, planning for retirement, you need those longer-term returns in the stock market. You can't afford just to have everything sitting in cash, and I think that's still a big problem right now. Well, that's a good news, Rye, because if – look, we just had a rally, and if you missed it, you still haven't missed it, right? The, and, you know, the markets are still relatively cheap based on historical valuations. You have to remember, this time a year ago, I'm looking at statements where I saw the money market fund was a half of 1%. You know, so the yields are still very attractive you know, based on investing for your retirement goals, based on whatever goals you might have financially, and dividend or dividend yields are rising. So it, because the economy is growing, companies have more profits, they're increasing their dividends. You know, you haven't missed it. It's, you know, you need to get serious about your investing and refocus your, your, your strategy right now because there's opportunity. Yeah, because I think there's that feeling of, oh, maybe I missed it, uh, so I'll just wait for the – the market pullback or I'll wait for a sign in the sky. And as we know, there's never a sign in the sky that tells you 
the all clear, clear signal is here. It's time to get in. And if you're a longer term investor, it's all about income, right? If you're looking to live off your portfolio, you're trying to plan for retirement. It is about cash flow. And if you set up your portfolio properly right now, you can generate that income stream you need for retirement. And to your point, Bob, you need an increasing cash flow uh, or income stream because inflation goes up over time and your needs are going to go up over time just because cost of living is going to go higher. No, that's true. And it's uh, <clears throat> if, you did, if you didn't know about inflation, well, you just got a great lesson because we had, we had inflation go all the way up to 9.1%. Uh, gave me flashbacks, right, to my early days as a financial advisor when we had 20%, you know, money market rates because inflation was at 18%. And a 22% mortgage was offered to me when I bought my first home. So, you know, I still have scars on my back from those days. Well, this is a different period, right? This, you know, history often rhymes, doesn't always repeat. And this is not a repeat of what we went through in the, in the 70s and 80s. It's not that sticky, persistent inflation. So you have to invest, you know, based on your goals. You have to be, you know, ready to put money to work because, you know, the opportunity is there every single day. You know, it's not, it, it's not a, a monolithic investment strategy. You've got to be diversified, and there's plenty of diversified ideas out there to take advantage of right now. Yeah, I think the worst strategy is I'm 100% and 100% out or an all-or-nothing strategy. And, I, you know, we review – hundreds of portfolios a year. Uh, we know what all the competition's doing. We know what all the big banks are recommending, the big brokerage houses. And what we noticed is, is a lot of you right now are overweight, 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 the overweight of what we would call that magnificent seven. You know, if you own the S&P 500, you think you own 500 stocks, but seven stocks make up 30% of that index. And on top of that, you may own some mutual funds and some ETFs that also own those large cap, mega cap names, whether it's Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, or now it's called Meta, Tesla. Um, and you know the problem is you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Those stocks have done great this year, but we forget they did horrible the year before. So we, we see a lot of what you would call that live by the sword, die by the sword investment strategy, which is a bad move when it comes to your retirement. You know, Ryan, that's, uh, that's a really good point because I just said – you know, history often rhymes, doesn't always repeat. The only other time in my history, almost 50 years of helping people and advising people on investing their money, uh, the only other time we had this kind of overweight of the overweight in the S&P was back in 2000, and those stocks went down for the next 10 to 15 years. It took you almost 15 years to break even buying these great companies. Now, there's nothing wrong. They are great companies, but you have to buy great companies at a great price. And, you know, because we had – you know, this big outperformance from seven stocks this year, it kind of masked the fact that every other stock wasn't going up. And that's where you need to focus your investment strategy right now. There's still lots of bargains out there. Um, and again, when, you know, as my mentor at Merrill Lynch, Rob, Bob Farrell, once commented, when everybody agrees on the outlook, right, 100 percent, you know, 4,000 <laughs> experts all agree on the same thing, something else is going to happen. <laughs> Kind of like this year when every expert said we we're going to have a recession and we didn't, right? So <laughs> it's the same, same type of thing. And I think, you know, right now, again, as you're planning for retirement, you are getting that broadening out of the rally, as they say. You know, interest rates are starting to go down. So sectors like real estate, which play great income, uh, you know, other places like financials, which benefit from rates going down, are all starting to do well right now. So you've got to spread that money out if you're going to de-risk for retirement. You don't want to concentrate it because the other problem with the Magnificent 7 and own an NVIDIA, which has done amazing this year, it they pay very little to no income. 
And that's not the right strategy for retirement. You need income generating investments because if not, your whole retirement is predicated on is the market going to go up this year or down this year. I wouldn't want to predicate my whole retirement on that alone, Bob, because in any given year, who knows what the market will do? Well, you know, how many meetings have we been in, Ryan? We sit down with, you know, someone who wants us to you know, help them to manage their financial affairs. And we say, well, what are your goals? Well, hey, guys, I want to make money. Well, yeah, you know what? <laughs> making money is great. But making money is not a goal. Why do you need to make money, right? Well, uh, you want to work the rest of your life? Heck no. You know, I want to be able to retire comfortably. You want to run out of money? No, I want to be able to outlive my money. Right? I, have, I want an income I can't outlive. And that's the beauty of a diversified portfolio. When you own high-quality individual municipal bonds or high-quality treasury bonds, you're making money every day. You actually get paid every single day. You accrue that interest. Um, so you're earning income. When you have a portfolio of high-quality companies, both here and around the world, you're earning dividends. You're accruing those dividends every day. So when you have a year like we did last year, right? Last year was a horrible year uh, because markets went down. But every one of our clients who's in retirement, close to retirement, had that income stream coming in, regardless of whether the Dow Jones Industrial Average is yeah. up or down for the day. Yeah, exactly right. If you're thinking to yourself right now, okay, I get it. I need a concrete plan for retirement where I'm generating income because I need income to live. Here's your shot to do it. We're going to keep 10 slots open for the whole show. If you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for you our now famous total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. We go as far as building you your own personalized financial portal. There's not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and we'll just hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's that income plan for retirement. How do you take Social Security? Lots of ways to take it. One right way for you, how do you draw from your portfolio, factor in inflation, and not run out of money? We're going to build a dynamic income plan over the rest of your life. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been wild the last two years, going up, going down. Has your portfolio been like a yo-yo too? Or have you been sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, even though rates are going down next year, you can't figure out what to do? We'll put together a full holistic, diversified investment game plan, show you how to grow your wealth and tie it to your goals, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we'll look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you those high-cost annuities, mutual funds, insurance products, brokerage products, structured products. We'll do a deep dive of every investment you own, show you how to reduce the cost on all your investments, and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. We have 10 slots open if you saved over a million dollars for your retirement. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next 10 callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own unique total financial master plan. Now, there's no obligation. There's no cost. There's no strings attached, but you won't have a plan if you're not one of our next 10 callers. So give us a call at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692, or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. So, Bob, you know, we are getting near the end of the year here, and a lot of us might be thinking, man, oh, man, I want to retire next year. 
I want to be financially independent or I'm getting close and I really want to reevaluate my options, especially coming to the beginning of the year. You know, one of the things we do at our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, again, P-A-Y-N-E, is we help all the families we work with try to figure out what that financial independence date is, right? When you can be retired or you don't have to rely on working to generate an income to live on. And everybody wants to know that financial independence date, but there's a lot of things you have to think about when you're trying to figure out exactly what that date is. You know, Ryan, I met with a, an old buddy of mine the other day and, uh, you know, he, he did a back of the envelope projection of his wealth and he figured if he spent X amount of dollars a year and he did simple math and divided it by his financial assets, he'd be set. And I said, well, what about inflation? What do you mean? What, what do you mean? What about inflation? <laughs> you know, cost of living goes up every year. And, you know, what about the taxes you have to pay when you come out of your retirement account? You got to pay taxes when you come out of your retirement account? Yeah, you do. So I, when I ran the projection, he actually was okay financially, and he's going to become a client of ours as a result of it. But he had no idea the impact of inflation and taxes, how onerous it is, and how you have to make sure that you invest properly to account for that. Yeah. You can't be just blanketed like, I think I need, let's say, $2 million, and I'll be set for retirement. You don't really know that until you start to figure out what you need to live on. And the scary thing is, let's say you need $15,000 a month to live on. Well, over the next 20 years, because of inflation, that's probably going to be closer to $30,000 a year. Furthermore, because we're living longer, right? You may have additional health care costs. Since you are living longer in retirement, they may take another quarter of a million dollars out of your account. How does that affect your income plan? So there's so many variables you have to factor in when you're trying to determine what you can live off comfortably when it comes to your assets. And most of us don't run those hard numbers. Yeah, and it's not just... You know, you can't have a rule of thumb, uh, cookie cutter approach because this person is unique, right? They they live on the East Coast right now. They have a they have a home at the Jersey Shore. They have a home in the on the East Coast of Florida, um, and their inflation is much higher, right? Because all of a sudden, it's flood insurance. It didn't go up a little bit. It went up three hundred percent. So <laughs> you have these inflationary spirals in certain areas of your life, whether it's protecting your home or protecting your health. Look at the cost of health insurance now, right? Look how inflationary, um, the leaps that it's coming in cost of health, health care. But meanwhile, health care is getting better, so we're living longer. So you have longevity and you have inflation that you have to contend with. Can't do that on a napkin. Yeah, it's almost like a double-edged sword. And, you know, that's the idea that you want to think of. you got to throw the kitchen sink at your financial plan. And most of us don't do that. You have to run the different what if scenarios. You know, I always like to say you want the surprises to be in the positive, not the negative. So you want to kind of stack the cards against you when you run the numbers. So down the line, ideally the surprises are positive and you end up with a better situation than you anticipated, but you have to run those hard numbers. And I think the other issue is, you know, when you think about income, we always say it's not what you make, it's what you take. It's great if you're generating a lot of income, but typically you pay taxes on that income. If you're getting 5% in your money market fund right now, well, guess what? You still pay federal taxes on that. That's not all going into your pocket. So you have to figure out what that after-tax income you need to generate it is that's going to be in your pocket every month, not Uncle Sam's. Yeah, now we've had very volatile markets, right? And then, uh, you know, when you watch what's going on in the markets, you think, oh, I could do one-stop shopping. I, I, you know, I hit a home run with a certain investment. Hey, I remember back in... 2000, uh, when Amazon went public, you know, the stock lost 90% in the first year. Well, 
you know, if you've got a $10 million portfolio and you lose $9 million in the first year, you're not going to hang around because and wait and see if it recovers when you're one year or two years away from retirement or in retirement. So you really got to make sure that you're, you know, reducing the risk in your portfolio. You're putting more certainty into your investment strategy every year you age. You just can't play, you know, put it to put it to work and forget about it. And that's what happens. You know, most portfolios we see, the advisor put together a portfolio. It's the day the earth stood still, right? It's a shame. Yeah. You've got to customize. You have to update often. It's like flossing. You got to do it regularly. And if you think yourself right now, that's what I need. I really need to get around when I'm going to be retired, when I'm going to need an income. How does that get affected over time? Well, here's your shot to do it. We still have four slots left. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for your total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. There's not a firm out there that will get this granularized and figure out all the issues you need to figure out today. We go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal. We'll give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life. We'll just hone in on all those issues you need to figure out for to be retirement ready, whether it's that income plan for retirement, factoring in Social Security, factoring those additional health care costs, factoring what you need after tax. We'll put together a full dynamic income plan so that you don't outlive your money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been volatile. They've been up and down, been all over the place. Has your portfolio been like a yo-yo too? Or are you still sitting with too much money in cash? Paralysis by analysis. We'll put together a full investment game plan, tie it to your goals, show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it, manage the risk over the rest of your life, and look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to say those high cost annuities, Mutual funds, brokerage products, structured products. We'll do a deep dive of every investment you own. Show you how to reduce the cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You'll get our full tax playbook. We have four slots left if you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844 844- P-L-A-N-N-Y-C. If you're one of our next four callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own total financial master plan. Now, there's no cost, no obligation, no strings attached. Hey, but you won't have a plan if you don't call right now. So be one of our next four callers and call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844 844- Plan NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, we want to wish everyone a great holiday weekend. If you want to learn more about our firm, Payne Capital Management, P-A-Y-N-E, simply go to bbullish.com. That's bbullish.com. Stay tuned. We got more, more money coming your way. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Radio, and we also are streaming this. Uh, I am really privileged to be with Bob Yanwe, who is the president of the great Goya company. And first of all, um, Bob, thanks so much for joining oh, us thank today. you, Steve, for and having you me. participated in our uh, economic summit and did an amazing job. So I w- wanted to really, for our viewers and listeners, just summarize some of the major points that you made. And one of the things I want to point out to people is this point you made about the importance of, it's such an important point about food security, where are we in this country and where are we in the world with respect to making sure that people aren't going hungry and that we're not seeing famines and things like that? Because I'm very worried about that. 
Right. Uh, well, first of all, what a great panel today and, and uh, attendance by so many great people. Uh, you really put a, an incredible you. show together. Yeah, you know, uh, food security is, is an issue. Uh, we take it for granted, don't we? We take it for granted. You know, right now, India is one of the largest exporters of rice in the world. They're not exporting. One, they have political, they have elections, but second, they don't have enough uh, food. So a lot of these big countries, Indonesia, India, they're not they're not uh, exporting. And then you have Why? Uh, s- supply. We had weather patterns, okay. which are recurring. Uh, Nino is every two to seven years. They have the Nino and the Nina. Uh, they're warm water and warm and, and cold. Uh, and they disrupt. Uh, it's not necessarily any climate change. It's just a naturally occurring thing. So, but it's had the effect of affecting crops uh, throughout the world. You know, the California tomato crop, which is usually can be as much as 15 million tons, was cut back. Uh, you know, rice. Was that because of weather? Or? Uh, weather, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, so in, in, in Europe, Italy, Spain also. Uh, so you have climate issues, but then you also have uh, political issues. So okay. because of, I believe, our weakness throughout the world, I don't think we would have been in these wars, but you have the Russia-Ukraine war. Okay. And Ukraine was kind of like the breadbasket for northern Africa and, and parts of Europe. And uh, between Russia, they control 30% of the world's wheat, 20% of the world's corn, uh, they have uh, two and a half million acres of sunflower, which which affects oil. Fifty uh, percent of the world's fertilizer, and so um, you saw food prices basically uh, go through the roof, as they did. I mean, in not just in the United States, States but not all just over the United world. States, yes. Yeah. And how long have you been running the company? Uh, <laughs> I've been working there since I was ten years old, <laughs> okay, yeah. but uh, running it since '04, basically. Uh, wow. 2004. Wow, so fantastic. Well, you've done an amazing job. 20 years. Now, you fell into some controversy a while back uh, with respect to uh, saying something kind about Donald Trump. Uh, and yet, it's a pretty amazing story because I think if I understand you correctly, even though the left, you know, because they don't like Trump, that they tried to boycott you, you were actually, sales went up, right? It backfired. Well, we were in the middle of uh, COVID and yeah. there was no food. There weren't, companies weren't right. working. We are an essential company. Yes. But I don't know why we're declared that when really work is essential. Jobs are essential. All work is. Yes. Yeah, right. I agree with that. And so because we were working, uh, we were producing food. The food banks had dried up. So you're and providing food for the food Yes. Banks. I wanted to make a gift to the CEO of the, wow. of the United States, Donald Trump, at the time in 2020 yeah. of a couple million pounds of food. Okay. It turned into yeah. close to five. Wow. So I'm at the Rose five Garden. Five million pounds of food. Yes. That can feed a lot year. of people. Yeah, we, we continue to do that. And, um, wow. And this is, this is all charity. Yes. And we also have wow. a program called Goya Cares, which is, is focusing on the, the plight of, of young children being trafficked wow. and, and things like that. But when back in, yeah. in 2020, when uh, there was no food, I was also being uh, asked to be a commissioner in the White House Commission on Hispanic Prosperity. And we went to the White House on July 9th of 2020 to announce that. Mm-hmm. And, and the president asked me to speak. Yes. So I'm there and the Holy Spirit 
and possibly my father too, because my father died 47 years ago, and he said, your goal in life is salvation, and I believe his spirit has been with me. But the Holy Spirit put the word blessed, and I said, we're blessed as a country, we're blessed to have Donald Trump as a leader. And you would have thought I said something so horrific, but the cancel culture erupted, and uh, they gave me a, I mean, I was on television for uh, a while, Laura Ingram asked me if I was going to uh, apologize. I said, hell no. <laughs> and uh, Apologize you, you, you for apologize what? And then, yeah, and, for and being charitable? Did. For giving food away? You apologize and you're fired. It, but we're privately held. But I yeah. even got pushed back from, from the family. But then what happened to your... What, so what... Fast forward, so you're atta- under attack from some of these more liberal groups. But did you lose sales or what happened? So, you know, th- this was like a one-two punch. Yeah. We, we started getting... Uh, a- AOC, uh, Alexandra Castro Cortez, yeah. Lin uh, Manuel Miranda, who's of Hamilton, but uh, Julian Castro. You know, they criticized later Trump and Ivanka for holding up Goya products. But they can, you can boycott a company, you just can't uh, yeah, right. support. So it almost immediately uh, was a boycott. Not by the, the, our people, by, my, not by consumers, by the elites. But they saw, the people saw that we were there to give away food and, and to do good. And so there was the reaction of a boycott. And mm. people started rushing out and buying our products. People who never wow. bought it. So we did so well. We uh, Somebody sent me this thing, <laughs> AOC, Employee of the Month. So we, we made her <laughs> oh, yeah. Employee of the Month. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, by the way, I'm, I'm talking to Bob Ananye, uh, who is the president uh, and CEO of Goya Foods and has done an amazing job. And, you know, what you've done on the charitable front has been amazing. Tell me about the company. What's your, what's your, uh, are you profitable? What, are you continuing to grow? Tell us about, you know, I'm familiar with your cans of beans that my wife buys all the time. But tell us more about what you do and what's your outlook. Are you going to continue to grow? Well, we have a portfolio of over 2,500 products we distribute for companies like uh, Nestle. Because we go deep into distribution, we go store to store. Uh, Are you actually growing the food? Do you own the farms or? No, no. But, you you know, what's happened is uh, we have done that. But, you know, the thing is food travels. So sometimes your sources come from more parts of the world. And and you you can be more competitive that way. But, uh, you know, every ethnicity, uh, you know, the United States is the second largest Latino country in the world. So we've grown from a very small Latino population to the second largest in the world. They say we're going to be the biggest wow. group by 2050. Really? I think by the next time the next caravan comes in, we'll be the biggest group. But because of that, and every cuisine, every ethnicity has a different cuisine. Yes. So what we try to do is be authentic and have the quality. But, you know, the Peruvian cuisine is different from Colombian. It's different from Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And so we've expanded our line and and we've grown because we even have different nomenclature. We have, you know, the, all we're very authentic in our product line, and we've grown with the Hispanic community, oh, yeah. which is our family. And that's why we, we're always trying to give back not only to our community but to the the community at large, or the, our U.S. community and around the world. Now, are you based in Florida, or where are you? Uh, we started in New York, Manhattan, yeah. uh, Dwayne Street, uh, but we're in... <laughs> 
New Jersey. We're up and down the East Coast. But so your headquarters are where? Headquarters is New Jersey. New Jersey, okay. And so uh, in terms of the outlook for the U.S. economy, you know, you've got a good front row seat in terms of seeing where the, where the economy is right now. What do you see what's happening to inflation? And then what's your outlook for 2024? Well, you know, we've been hit with tremendous inflation. They say food inflation is 7%, but food is, it probably went up 50. Uh, Cans went up for us. uh, I think what's going to happen, we're going to go back to the, you know, 2% inflation that we had under Trump, I think. I'm an advisor to Trump, as most of our listeners and viewers know. And, you know, if that happens, I just think, and listen, we've got just 30 seconds left. But in my opinion, Bob, I think that would be just the, the... amount of potential growth of this country would be unlimited. Yes, and, and that's so important, but also important is that we got to love each other yeah. as ourselves. we got to move toward yep. God. And I think that Donald Trump is someone who's going to lead this country closer to God. You know, all the numbers and everything else, unless we value each other, and we're not valuing each other at any level. But we're at each other's throats. And <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. we need to, you know, get back as a society. And this is happening all over the world, so we got to we're leading the way, but we have to lead the way back to God. Folks, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. Bob, you're one of the great CEOs of our country, and thanks so much for speaking at our conference and coming on the More Money Show. Thank you for having me, Steve. Thank God you. bless. It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with More Money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show, uh, our Christmas edition. Thanks so much for joining. I hope everyone is having a wonderful Christmas weekend. Uh, our guest um, today on the show is John Bond, who is one of the world's pol- political and policy experts. Uh, he knows a lot about elections. He wrote a book called Stealing Elections about how voter fraud is really imperiling our uh, democracy. And so, John, um, when I gave my opening monologue today, I said one of the things I was hoping for for Christmas is clean elections in 2024. Do you think I'm going to get that? Uh, in some states, for sure. <laughs> uh-huh. In some states, not. And in some uh-huh. states, it depends on whether or not um, voters are, rig- are vigilant enough and their lo- their lawsuits and Freedom of Information Act requests that are filed that can bring anomalies to light. In some states, I'm optimistic. In some states, we have a battle. So uh, I think everybody listening to this show, because we have such a smart audience, uh, wants honest elections. How can – well, tell me what worries you. I mean, you mentioned several – you think you're worried about some states. What what worries you about their voting laws, and are there things that citizens can do to ensure that uh, the elections are fair and open and honest? Well, I'll just name one. Uh, I'd be writing on this for the hotline newsletter that you uh, publish next week. In Pennsylvania, a few years ago, it was discovered that over a 15-year period, the the DMV offices would basically renew the driver's licenses of green card holders and legal residents in the country who weren't citizens. That's fine. Legal residents can get a driver's license. 
Then they offered them the right to register to vote without telling them that they had to be a citizen. And somewhere between 10,000 and 100,000 people in Pennsylvania registered to vote. A sample of those people has been done by the Philadelphia Election Office, and they found that 41% voted at least once oh my gosh. more in, in other elections. Now, here's where it gets interesting. This was uh-huh. six and a half years ago. For six and a half years, Republican state legislators and the Public Interest Legal Foundation have tried to get the documentation of uh-huh. how exactly this was done, who was responsible, was it incompetence or conscious, is there a paper trail, and exactly how many people were registered to vote illegally. They have been stonewalled and stonewalled. There's finally a court hearing in the Third Circuit Federal Court of Appeals in February where we may finally get an answer. My question is this, Steve. Pennsylvania is a key swing state. It was won or lost by Trump or Biden by less than 40,000 votes in two elections. What are they hiding in a state that will be at the center of who wins the presidential race in 2024. Well, that's a critical point, John, because uh, this is WABC in New York, and we certainly reach all throughout Pennsylvania. So I'm glad you're giving Pennsylvania's voters the heads up on this. Um, it's uh, it's so discouraging um, that we don't have better voter laws. I mean, whenever people like you, who is an expert on voter integrity, talk about measures to make sure that only the people are registered and, you know, um, to vote are voting. People say, ah, this is voter suppression. You're trying to uh, suppress the votes of of people. Uh, How do you respond to that when people say that? Well, two things. One is just yesterday, the Queens District Attorney in New York City indicted a Democratic election worker for casting 20 absentee ballots. So those who say voter fraud doesn't happen. 20, 20, 20, one person, 20 ballots? Yes. So those who say voter fraud doesn't happen should talk to the Queens district attorney, who, by the way, is a Democrat. (laughs) Secondly, polls show consistently that blacks, Latinos, Asian voters all believe voter fraud is a problem. They often live in neighborhoods where they're run by political machines that stay in power through voter fraud or uh, manipulation. Uh, or plain sloppiness, frankly, and over two-thirds of black, Latino, and Asian voters back things like photo ID at the polls, back other mm-hmm. measures of, elect- of election integrity. If they believe that overwhelmingly, and those are Democratic constituencies still, mm-hmm. why in the world is that the case, and why should we believe people who say they're wrong because they're the ones who live the experience day to day. They're not academics in some ivory tower. When someone votes, uh, you know, 20 times as this incident happened um, that you just mentioned, what kind of what are the is that a felony? Is voter fraud a felony? And what kind of penalties do people face? Well, it is a felony and they face, in theory, jail and large fines. The problem is threefold, Steve. First of all, prosecutors, most prosecutors are elected politically. And the last thing they want to do is handle a vote fraud case because half of the political community is going to be really mad at them. (laughs) Right, right, right. And that's going to impede their future uh, climb up the political ladder. Secondly, they're notoriously hard to prove because the standard is you have to prove not only that someone committed voter fraud, but you have to prove that they consciously knew at the time that it was voter fraud and not some kind of mistake or error or that they were mentally inhibited. And the third problem is this, 
and I'll be quite honest with this, uh, anyone, because a lot of these uh, organized attempts to bust people around from polling place to polling place happen in major cities that are controlled by political machines, often a large number of minority voters are involved, so you're automatically going to be accused of racism, and that's, you know, the scarlet letter in American politics. To be accused of racism if you're in politics or yeah. a prosecutor is something a lot of prosecutors want to avoid. So the, the, the evidence bar is high, and the intimidation tactics of people who want to sweep this all under the rug are very virulent. So we uh, have um, this uh, decision in Colorado to keep um, Donald Trump off the ballot. It's caused a lot of rage and anger. Uh, I watch Fox News a lot, and I saw, you know, they've been uh, hot on this story. To explain, if you would, by the way, I'm talking to John Fund, who is one of the world's experts on election law and is also a senior fellow with me at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Uh, what, uh, explain why the judge ruled this and can it be overturned? And do you think this was the right thing to do? Well, it wasn't a judge. It was the Colorado State Supreme Court. Oh, the All court. Okay. seven of the judges who ruled in this case were Democratic appointees. Mm-hmm. Only four of the seven, it was a four to three vote, only four wow. of the seven found that Donald Trump, A, had engaged in insurrection or surrounding the events of January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, Wait, hold on, hold on. He hasn't been, he hasn't been convicted of that. I understand, I, but I have, to, I have to tell you what the court said first. I know, but it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's just an allegation. They, they're not experts on this. They don't know what they're You the, clearly that don't understand the living constitution <laughs> and, okay. and the theory yeah, right. behind that. Yeah. Now, okay. don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I think Donald Trump made serious mistakes on January. Right, right. But, we all do. Yeah. But, but insurrection is a is a is a is a legal concept. Yeah. And here's the problem. So the A found he had engaged in insurrection. B they found that the uh, Article Three of the Fourteenth Amendment says that if you've taken an oath to uphold the Constitution, to hold public office, and then you engage in insurrection, you're ineligible to go on the ballot. And that then the last they found was that um, they're going to, you know, give Trump the right to appeal. And <laughs> if the Supreme Court agrees to take up this appeal case, to, appeal to who? The Supreme Court. The, the, you mean the U.S. Supreme Court or the Colorado yes. Supreme Court? Well, the Colorado Supreme Court is the one who made this ruling. They're the highest state court. But There's no I'm higher court is... than the Colorado Supreme Court. So the only appeal you can make is to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, but I, I just I'm confused by this because he hasn't been found guilty of anything. Well, so see, these are technicalities <laughs> according to them. Technical, you know, you know, there's a famous saying from a satirical poem about yeah. overzealous <laughs> prosecutors and judges, uh-huh. and it has a judge saying to this hapless defendant who's being railroaded, you right. know, the rule of law in complex times has proved itself deficient. We much uh-huh. prefer the rule of men. It's vastly more efficient. <laughs> So, well, how do you, so you're, you're, how do you... you're raising these technicalities, but the real pro- the real problem is this. Well, are other states going to do this now? Well, several states have rejected this argument. Okay, uh, Colorado is yeah. the first that, by a one vote yeah. margin, in the Colorado Supreme Court has ruled this. I think this is going to boomerang on the left. I do too. It's one thing to criticize Donald Trump, and <laughs> I, for example, have thought that the document yeah. case. Uh, yeah. in Florida, which is not going to trial anytime soon, is a serious problem for him. Yeah, but these right. other cases are just caca. I mean, in yeah. many cases, or they're vastly exaggerated. So the bottom line here is they're going to 
turn him into a martyr. And remember, there's a new poll, there's a new survey out that shows that since Trump was first indicted in March, his polling numbers in the Republican presidential nomination have only gone up. I know. So because people feel that this is lawfare. Lawfare Mm -hmm. is where you use the law as a political (laughs) weapon when you should be using argument and debate and, you know, basic tools of democracy. And I believe that lawfare has been misused by both political parties. But here in this case, it is being it is being deployed to basically say someone can't even appear on the ballot. And that's the that's ridiculous. I mean, the bottom line is we elect people who have been in legal difficulties or controversy for a long time. There are members of there was a there was a congressman from Florida who'd been impeached as a federal judge for bribery. And then he went back and served in Congress. The voters (laughs) ultimately should have the power to decide this, not a bunch of people in robes and certainly not by a vote of four to three. And the three Democratic appointees who said this was ridiculous, I mean, they are all liberals.